from Parkway Church in Kurana, this is the Parkway Podcast. Our prayer is that this message blesses and encourages you today as you listen. If you would like to know more information on who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. If you have a Bible, turn to Acts chapter 4, verses 1 to 13. We are continuing our series on the Holy Spirit. And the first half of this series, we kind of looked at the person and the nature and the work of the Holy Spirit. And kind of on this latter half, we're looking at what it means to be a spirit-filled individual or a community, what it means to be spirit-filled, kind of like two series in ones. Now, I want to say this. Um, Ecclesiastes tells us there's nothing new under the sun, and you've probably heard that term before. And I think of that a lot when I, when I speak, when I, when I talk, because I'll, m- much of what I share Much of what comes out of my mouth is because of the many men and women who have gone before me and poured into my life and through reading and listening and researching others. So I just want to give credit where credit is due because a lot of what I share today is I've heard from different mentors and pastors who have poured into my life. And and many of them have gone before me. So I'm giving credit where credit is due. This is not new information. And just so you know, most of what comes out of my mouth isn't new information it's all because of people who've laid the groundwork. And all of you are in the room, and you're online because somebody laid groundwork in your life. Am I right? Somebody prayed. Just my family, when we, when we came to Canada, my, I was born in England. Family's from England. We moved here when I was two. A family caught wind that we were coming, I don't know how, to Canada, and they started praying for us. And introduced themselves to my family. And one day my mom showed up on this family's doorstep with my sister and myself and said, would you take us to church? And that is how my family began our journey with Christ is through somebody laying some groundwork before us. And, and so it's important, I think, to give honor where I was due. Well, let's bow our heads and let's, uh, let's invite the Spirit to speak to us this morning. Holy Spirit, we've welcomed you this morning. We've worshiped you and we pray that as we look at your word now, that you would speak to our hearts and you'd direct us and you'd convict us and you would lead us to be transformed people. Renew us, we pray this morning. I, I pray that this wouldn't just be another message. This wouldn't just be another Sunday, but something would be stirring in our hearts, leading us to become truly the people you have called us to be. So we give you our minds and we give you our hearts to speak this morning. Be with me, Lord, as I speak and share. I pray that the words that come out my mouth are the words that you would direct to come out my mouth. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You ready? So in my, in my house, uh, we, we like smoothies. <laughs> Some of you laugh because you know. We like smoothies in our house. Um, at least once a day, a smoothie is being made in my home. At least once, maybe two, two or three times. Uh, in fact, I would say that the sound of the blender running in our house has become like white noise. Like we could probably fall asleep to it. And you could put on a blender, it's just soothing because we just love it. If you follow us on, on social media, myself or Jody, you'll know that nutrition is important to us. And, and uh, I could actually argue that your spiritual health is actually connected to your physical and your emotional health, but that's a time for another day. But... In our house, we love smoothies, and I can almost always tell when one of my kids has had a smoothie. I don't have to be in the room. I don't have to hear the blender. I could, like, I could be coming home from the office one day and show up in the house, and I know they've had a smoothie because of what I see on their face. 
and it's the remnants of the smoothie goodness. You, you know when you, I, I remember when I was a kid, you know, we had a lot of, lot of you know, concentrated juice in my home, and my favorite was fruit punch, and whenever I drank fruit punch, I'd get, like, the Joker smile, you know, and it, it'd be, it, like, stained me. Like, I think for, like, a year, I just had, like, a permanent Joker smile. I feel like that's my kids with smoothies. They just constantly have smoothies. I'll come home, and I'll see them run on the street, and I'll be like, hey, did you have a smoothie? And they'll be like, yeah, how'd you know? Because your face is covered in smoothie. It's up here, it's here, it's everywhere. It's, it's recognizable. And this is a really, really strange analogy to say that in a similar way, the Spirit of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit on your life is recognizable, should be recognizable. You have an anointing. You have an anointing. If you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, the Jesus of the Bible, as Savior and Lord, Savior meaning that he saved you from your sin, you've received forgiveness, you've looked to the cross, and Lord meaning that you submit to his lordship, to his rule and reign, to his, his commands and his directives. The Bible tells us that the Spirit of God has been, been given to you. It deposited into your life. You have an anointing, and that anointing is a recognizable feature. Look at somebody and say anointing this morning. Come on, do it. We haven't done that in a while. Online, you can type it in the chats. Anointing. And I want to ask us this morning to examine the palpability of God's presence in our life and challenge us to, to fan into flame or to work in, in such a way as to enter in in such a way as that presence becomes more and more recognizable. So Acts chapter four, this is a story of Peter and John. Starting verse one, I'm gonna read it for you. It says this, and as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in the custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to, to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Ananias, the high priest, Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were part of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in their midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that you rejected, that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Verse 13, last verse, it says, And now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And listen to this. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. When, when people around your life, what do they recognize about you? 
What do they, what do they pick up on? What do they per, perceive? The clothes you wear? Your hairdo? Because the hairdresser's finally opened up? The kicks you're wearing? Your, your demographic? Your ethnicity? Your demeanor? What do they perceive? What do they notice about you? For Peter and John, they had recognized that they had been with Jesus. So here's the story. Peter and John, after Jesus had died and rose again and, and ascended to heaven, um, the outpouring of the Spirit in Acts chapter 2, it says that the number of the followers and believers came to be about 3,000 on that day. And so Peter and John had been preaching about Jesus and filled with the Spirit, they had proclaimed healing on a crippled man who was lame from, from birth. And this disturbed the, the Jewish authorities, and so they seized Peter and John, and they dragged them to be questioned before the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin's like a uh, tribunal council of rabbis and uh, high priests. And as Peter and John are answering their questions, they recognized a few things about them. They recognized they were uneducated. They were common men, but they could identify that they had been with Jesus. There was something about how they stood, how they responded, that spoke to the whole authority of this Jewish council that they had been with Jesus. The distinguishable feature of a spirit-filled person, the identifying marker, is the anointing of the presence of God on your life. It's palpable. These disciples, they were ordinary guys. They were uneducated. They, they didn't hold, you know, degrees from prestigious universities. They weren't a part of an elite class of people. They weren't higher up on the, on the social chain. They were, they were average. They were Joe Blows. They were blue collar. They were fishermen. They're, they're laborers. Yet there was something about them, something on their life that marked them regardless of their social status. There was an anointing on their life. And this word is something that we see throughout the Bible. It's, it's used in, in churches a lot. It's thrown around a lot, um, especially charismatic churches. And just, just to define that term for you, when we say charismatic, if you were here last week or you tuned in last week, we talked about that word charisma, right? Manifestations of grace. That's where we get the idea of charismatic churches. They're churches that kind of lean into the spirit a little bit more. Um, like other words, if we're not careful and we don't define the meaning of the word, the word anointing can take on a definition of its own, which might be something different than what it was the original intent. And it's important, especially with this word, I think, to understand the meaning, because we begin to understand the meaning of the word, we begin to understand what it means for us today. So the anointing was a term that was used to describe the act of setting something apart for God. For a purpose, right? Usually with pouring on oil or anointing oil. So think of like perfume, right? Or cologne or body spray, like Axe. I don't even know if people use Axe nowadays. That was something that we used when, a, when we were teenagers. It was the kind of thing that when you went to a youth event, you know, at least in the boys' cabins, it was just like a, a puff of cloud. You'd walk in and you'd just be like, oh. I remember one time I ran out of deodorant. I, I'm just going here. I'm going with this story. Um, I ran out of deodorant and I found a, a bottle of of this in my drawer. It must have been left over. This is like a couple, only a couple years ago. I think it was here, actually. I might have been in this, in this community at the time. It was like in the back of the drawer, left over from like some really old youth event. I don't even know how old it is, but I used it, and I remember coming out, and Jody's like, you can't wear that. 
And I'm like, but I smell. She's like, I don't care. You can't, you can't wear that. Um, the anoint, that's then whatever. The anointing was a term used to describe the act of setting something apart for God by pouring on of oil. It was used to distinguish things and to distinguish items and people for God. So in the Old Testament, the, the anointing oil was poured on the tabernacle and the temple, these places of worship, um, in order to set it apart for God and for purpose. And after the temple and after the tabernacle, after they, they were anointed and the things within it were anointed with this oil, it was holy. Holy is, is a word that, that really just means set apart. It's unlike anything else. It's other than. The priests who attended to the temple, they were anointed with this oil for the purpose of ministering in the temple. King David, well, I'll know the story of King David very well. Before he became king, he was anointed by Samuel to become king. Elisha, he asked for a double portion of the amount of anointing that was on Elijah's life, and it was granted to him by, by God. And here's what it says in 1 John chapter 2 in the New Testament, verse 20. It says that you have an anointing from the Holy One. And John here is speaking to apprentices of Jesus about the deposit of the Spirit of God on their lives. The Holy Spirit living in you is the anointing on your life. You have an anointing. Now what we like to do often in churches is we like to use this word in a little bit of different way. Sometimes we use it to, to, to describe someone who appears to be set apart from the rest of us for God, you know? We'll say things like, oh man, they're so anointed, right? And we kind of use it like our English word charisma, that, that you know, indefinable feature that we can't pinpoint, but it's just on them. And the only difference between that individual, which we think, oh, they're so anointed, and you, other than the fact of the gift that they've been given, is that they've chosen to fan and to flame the gift that is on their life. There's no difference. You, me, everybody in this place, you're listening online. If you believe in Jesus, you have an anointing. You don't need to go to some conference where there's a speaker speaking in front of 3,000 people who are like, wow, they're so anointed. You have the same anointing. The only difference is they've fanned into flame the gift of God that's on their life. So Paul says to Peter in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, he says, fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. We can, we can build up the heat. We can build up the passion. We can build up the presence of God on our lives and through our lives as we fan into flame who is on our life. It, we, we don't, there's, there's, there's no elite class here, people. There's no set-apart category like there's the rest of us and then there's like the Moseses of the world, right? And the Davids. That's, that's not how it works. That's how it worked in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit came upon a few select individuals, but we're living in, in post-Old Testament. We're living post-Christ, right? He's ascended. The Holy Spirit has been poured out. We all have the Spirit of God. You have an anointing. And it's meant to be recognizable. They could tell that they were, they were common, uneducated men, but that they had been with Jesus. So the oil in the Old Testament set apart things for God. In Exodus chapter 30, uh, God gives Moses instructions on how to make the anointing oil for the temple. And it was, a, it was a physical oil. It wasn't just a thing that they used to describe people. 
It was a physical oil with a fragrance in it, and it had a specific amount of spices. There was a, there was a formula to it. And they coated the temple, and items in the temple like coated these things. And people serving the temple to make them sacred because, and get them ready to, to meet with, with a holy God because you can't enter the presence of God flippantly. You know, sometimes we do that a little bit. Kind of actually spoke a little bit in worship about that today. Sometimes we enter apathetically into the presence of God. We lean so much onto the grace of God that we forget that he's a God to be revered. And so the, in the Old Testament, they would anoint these things and people uh, with this specifically made physical oil to prepare them. In the New Testament, the, the apostles and the disciples, in a similar way, um, used it as a way to symbolically mark someone with the Spirit of God. And so in Mark, it tells us that when they were casting out demons, that they were anointing sick, sick people with oil and healing them. In James, it tells us that if anyone is sick, to call the elders of the church, that they would pray for them and anoint them with oil. It's it's symbolic act of the, the Spirit's power on someone's life. Now, when we read the Gospels, we often look at everything that Jesus did as if he was God. Well, he's Jesus. He's God. But everything that Jesus did, he did in ministry as an anointed man. He is by nature God. Jesus is divine. He is deity. But in function, an anointed man. So we read in Philippians that Jesus, the word, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own measure or grafts. And so he took on the form of a servant, uh, 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 the nature human. He functioned as an anointed man. Let me show you this. So God is omnipresent. Omni means all. He is everywhere at all times. You cannot go anywhere and escape from God's presence. But when the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, when, when Jesus came down and stepped into human form, he became a man in time and space. He's not, when he was on this earth, everywhere, all the time. He was not omnipresent. God is omniscient, meaning he knows all things. He has all knowledge. Jesus, when he took on human nature, he grew, the Bible says, as a child in stature and wisdom. He learned things. He said when speaking of the end and the resurrection that no one knows the hour, not the Son, only the Father. He is by nature God, fully God, and function an anointed man, fully man. You tracking with me a little bit? Somebody know where I'm going with this? We don't hear much about Jesus until his anointing. His anointing took place at his baptism when the Bible says that the Holy Spirit came upon him in the form of a dove. And that's when we start to hear a lot of the story of Jesus. The term Christ can literally be translated smeared with oil or anointed one is the nicer way that people like to put it. Smeared with oil. Christ, smeared with oil, anointed one. Which means that as Christians, Christians, we are smeared with oil. We are by nature human, but we are in function an anointed one. Jesus is by nature God, but function as an anointed man. We are by nature human, but we function as an anointed one. So let me ask you this, what characteristics more commonly define your life? Human ones or godly ones? 
Because the anointing on someone's life is a recognizable feature. They, they perceived that they were common and uneducated, but that they had been with Jesus. And this anointing comes upon us by the Spirit as we give our lives to Jesus. And as the Spirit takes residence in our life, he sets us apart for himself. Did you know that the Spirit of God set you apart? He's anointed you. He set you apart. That's the thing about a believer, though, is just as the priests in the temple and the items within the temple were set apart for God, there needs to be a, a separation in your life. There needs to be a distinction. There needs to be something that sets you apart from those around you. How you think, how you act, what you do, what you don't do, what you spend your time on, what you don't spend your time on needs to be distinguishable, needs to be different because we're different. Like when people look at Christians and say they're different, that's pro thanks, it's true. Partly because of who is residing in you, there should be an appearance about your life and the way in which you conduct life that is set apart. And not only appear, but we need to fan into flame the anointing that's on our life. And that takes action. That takes sacrifice. That takes intentionality. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes I look at my life and I don't appear to be recognizable. That anointing doesn't appear to be recognizable. And so as Paul said to young Timothy, we need to fan into flame the anointing. We've been set apart, but we need to take up the work of setting apart. The people, they went to the temple to, to worship. We need to, although we don't need to go to a temple to worship, we need to take up the action of fanning into flame the anointing that is on our life. There's a lifestyle requirement. We do things differently. We've been set apart. Now, the oil in the Old Testament was also transferable, so God gives Moses these instructions on how to, to create this, this anointing oil for the tabernacle, and what's interesting is it wasn't just oil. It was actually 85% fragrance and 15% oil. And I did the math a long time ago because I heard that a few times and I'm like, um, I'm, I hope someone's not just throwing out numbers. I always like to do that. I'm like, you can do this too. I'm like, let me just double check that what this person's saying is true. And so I went in and did the math and I'm like, oh yeah, that's, that's pretty accurate, pretty close. You know, maybe a couple decibel points. We're rounding up, okay? That's okay. Or down. The majority of what made up the physical oil was fragrance. Fragrance has the ability to let you know that something um, was... Um, or is there without actually seeing it. So a couple of years ago, I went to this medical office and I saw a sign on the door that, that read this. It said, please do not wear strong perfumes as the fragrance bothers others. And I thought, that's a funny sign. What happened in this office for them to put up that sign? And sure enough, I walk in and I look around and, and as I look around, there appeared to be, and I mean no offense by this, the elderly type of women that would coat themselves in this type of perfume that was like almost like <gasps> breathtaking and not in, in the positive way. You know what I'm talking about, right? You just, you, you're punched with it a little bit. And what was interesting is I walk in the room and either someone was ignoring the sign or the scent still lingered. The fragrance was transferable. Now here's the thing. There is something transferable about the anointing on your life. 
So the priests and the items that were anointed with this oil would have had a similar effect. You would have not seen them, but you would have known that they were there. You would have known that they were ministering because of how this oil was made up. And the anointing of the Holy Spirit operates similarly on our lives. You may not be able to see it, perceive it, smell it, but you know when it's there because it's transferable. In the early church in the book of Acts, it tells us the, the apostles, they performed performed many signs and wonders and they were healing all the sick that were brought to them much like Christ did. And it says that people would literally bring the sick on mats hoping that Peter's shadow would touch, it, touch them and they'd be healed. It says that Paul, that God did such amazing and powerful signs and miracles through Paul that people, that, that even his handkerchiefs and his aprons that he had touched were taken to the sick and it healed them. Like, I'm not trying to be all mystical. I'm not saying let's everyone grab a handkerchief this morning and let's, you know, pass it out. I'm, you know, I'm not for that. I'm not for the people that, that say, hey, send us $99 and we'll send you this powerful thing that will heal you. I'm not saying that. But there's something transferable about the anointing that is someone's, on someone's life. There's something transferable about the presence of God that is on someone's life that you can perceive. You may, not, you may not see it, you may not smell it, you may not be able to touch it, but you know when it's there. And we do that in church, right? We walk in or we walk out, and we're like, whoa, because it's transferable. And in the same way that it was in the temple and it is in the church service, it should be on our lives, that we should live and breathe every single day in such a way we should, we should fan into flame the presence of God on our lives in such a way that when we're at work, and we're at the gym, and we're at the home, that that presence is transferable. That we could leave a place and our shadow touches somebody's life. I'm not saying we all gotta go mystical like that. But what if we were to develop our relationship with the Lord in such a manner? What if we were to spend more and more time in his presence in such a way that when we left a space, people knew that the presence of God was there? Jesus was by nature God, but functioned as an anointed man. We are anointed men and women. There's something about it that operates differently and powerfully. So how do we get to that place? I'm gonna invite Josh, wherever you are. There you are, come on up. How do we get to that place when I'm at work, I'm in the gym, I'm in the coffee shop, I'm doing groceries that others recognize it. Someone just stops you, says, hey, can I talk to you? I don't know why I'm feeling drawn to you, but I need to talk to you. Or when you, after having a conversation with somebody, you leave the conversation as you would any other conversation. But when they leave, they're, they're comforted, they're, they're touched they feel like they just had a meeting with, with the presence of the Holy Spirit. How do we get to that place? Like, what was it about Peter and John? Was it their character? Was it their demeanor? Was it the way they conducted themselves? Was it the, the response? And what we can do in churches is we try to, we try to find the formula. Right? We, we, we say, okay, what was it so I can reproduce it? Give me the three things and I'll go and do those three things. And now I do those three things and I do the same. And I think sometimes that's where churches fall into error often when they want the spirit to move in the room. It's because we try to just do, oh, this is how he's moved before. We all came to the altar and then 
we laid hands and some pushed. We, it, it, oh, he didn't move this time, so I'm, you ever been in those services? It pushed a little harder. You know, people were slain, and this is how we do it. I remember as a, as a young teenager in a youth retreat one time where, and I'm, not bo- I'm boasting the Lord, where the spirit moved where I, I would pray over someone and they would begin to speak in tongues. And I remember feeling so blessed by that that the next week I tried to reproduce that youth as a teenager. And I remember when I go into this one individual, like I'm like, okay, I said it this way, I prayed this way, I did this, I'll do that, and it will happen. And believe me, I, I, wanted, I wanted God to move, but it didn't happen. And I remember this one guy looked at me like, what are you doing? And the next week he came back to me, I kid you not, and he's like, I searched the scriptures for everything you did and I could find nothing of what you did. And it hit me so hard that I made a vow that I would not try to reproduce the presence of the Spirit and the power of the Spirit in that way again. It is not something that we could just figure out what it was and reproduce people. It's not about that. It's how do we get to the place where the Spirit in us is perceived by others and impact, impacts those around us? How do we fan into flame the presence of the Spirit on our lives? And I think there's a key in that line that Luke says in the book of Acts. It says, They recognized they had been with Jesus. If the anointing is transferable, then you fan into flame the Spirit by being with the Spirit. If you you look at it, you notice it doesn't say that they recognized they had heard about Jesus. It's not that these disciples just sat in a bunch of sermons and a bunch of messages. You know, there's a lot of people that sat in Jesus' message. Thousands of people heard Jesus speak, came to Jesus. But only 120 were left in the upper room on the day that Jesus had ascended to heaven as the Spirit was being poured out. Where were the thousands? Thousands have heard him. It's not that these disciples were taught by other disciples. It's not that they heard disciples teaching about Jesus and and so this this council had recognized, hey, these guys had been taught by disciples of Jesus. They didn't just sit in a service and hear pastor pastor preach. I know you like looking at me, but it ain't gonna work. I know you like the sound of my voice, which is crazy, but that's not how it works. They recognized not that they'd heard information. They recognized they'd been with Jesus. And we can spend a lot of time in our lives being with different things. Like I spend time with my spouse. I spend time with my kids. I spend time with my dog. I spend time with the television. I spend time with, with my computer. I spend time with my phone. I spend time with my pillow. I can spend a lot of time. But if I spent more time in the presence of Jesus, maybe the presence of Jesus on my life would be transferable. I spent more time opening my heart and giving myself more to the Holy Spirit, maybe the Holy Spirit's anointing on my life would be more transferable. I remember hearing a story once of a guy who was in a grocery store. It was like late after work, Christian guy. It's just in a grocery store late after work. He went, I think, I think he went to get some donuts and there was someone in front of him who I think, I think they had hearing aids and, and just something spiked in them. Hey, why don't you offer to pray for that person? He's like, I want to pray for them. I'm in a grocery store line. Sure enough, he pray, I'm long story short, he prays for this person. This person is healed. They tested it out. And then all of a sudden, more people were coming to the grocery store aisle. I'm not saying that's what needs to happen to us, but it's not like he went looking for that. 
just living his life. And the spirit that was on his life impacted others. You have an anointing. You have an anointing. And we fan into flame the gift of God on our lives when we spend time with the spirit of God. So I began by asking this question or asking us to examine the palpability of God's presence on our life. It challenged us to spend more time entering in in a way that that presence impacts those around us. And let me give you some keys to do that. And they're so simple that you're gonna think it's cliche. Open up the Bible. Spend a little bit more time reading it. Like set aside time. Ready for this P word? It's a really big one. Pray. How many times have we heard this in church? How many times have we heard that we develop a relationship with God the same way we develop a relationship with anybody else. We spend time with them, we talk with them, we communicate with them. How can, I, how can I build the presence of God in my life if I don't spend time with him in prayer? That's what prayer is, is talking with God. Talk with him. Don't just talk about him. Don't, don't just go and listen to sermons about him. Talk to him. Spend time with him. I would rather you spend an, an hour and a half in the presence of Jesus than come for an hour and a half and meet here. If, I believe the presence of God is here and I believe this is important and valuable and I hope it encourages you and challenges you and builds us up in such a way that when we go out there, but let's spend time with them. Ready for another one? Fast. Like, oh, I don't want to do that. That's hard. Yeah, it's meant to be hard. It's, it's denying your flesh for, for the purpose of focusing in on God. Spend some, some time fasting. You're like, well, I can't for this or this reason. Then find something else. Stop making excuses and find something else you can. There's something you can remove from your life and dedicate more time to God. You want to know why I know? Because we live in Canada. We live in North America. And our lives are consumed with consumerism and comfort. That's really hard, Pastor. What's important? Ready for another one? Silence and solitude. Get alone and just be with God. Don't even talk, just listen. Prayer is not you just talking, it's conversation. Listen. Want another one? Sabbath. Rest, so important. Rest, and we, if you've missed our series, we talked about that a, a number of weeks back. It's, it's fighting against the temptation to do any work-related thing. Rest, worship, simple things, simple things that if we do on the daily basis, we'll develop a relationship with the Holy Spirit in such a way that the anointing he's placed on our life will begin to move and breathe and impact those around us. And so no longer will people or us just look at other people and say, they's anointed. But we would recognize that we have an anointing. You have an anointing. You, you have a special gift from God. You are no different than that person 
other than they've spent time with Jesus. What, what was the difference between Peter and John and you and me? Is they spent time with Jesus. And if you spend time with Jesus in that way, people will recognize the Spirit of God in your life. And my prayer for us as a church community, and for you as an individual, for myself, as much as we're human and we make mistakes and we fall short, that happens, is that people will begin to recognize Jesus in our life. They may look at us differently. They may point their finger once and twice, but may they recognize that we've been with Jesus. Not our education level, not our service, but that we've been with Jesus. Right? Amen? Anybody with me for that? Would you bow your heads and let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the word. Thank you for the, the story that we have today. Thank you that we have the book of Acts. and We can look and see how, how the early church began and, and lived and we can glean from. And I pray today that we would glean from this story and we would fan into flame the presence that the Holy Spirit is on our lives. We would fan into flame the manifestations of grace you've given us. We would fan into flame the anointing that is on us. Holy Spirit, that you would move and you'd breathe in our being in such a manner, in such a way, and we would work at developing your presence on our lives, that it would be transferable that when we leave this house and we go to our homes and we go to our workplaces and we interact with our coworkers and our family, at every place we encounter other people, that they would recognize your presence on our lives. They may, they may see all the other things that we are, God, but they would recognize that we've been with Jesus. So Holy Spirit, may we be overcome with your presence. May we be overcome with your presence. May we be overwhelmed and may we put into practice the practices that help us develop that relationship. So stir us, challenge us, convict us, and lead us, we pray. I pray, God, you bless every person here, every person within the sound of my voice online, listening today on the radio. Lord, in the name of Jesus, touch their lives. Show them your love and extend your grace, we pray. Jesus' name, amen. Hey, God bless you. If you're gonna sign up, Wednesday, you can sign up. Sign up as a group. Saturday is our yard work day, 9.30. God bless you. Have a great week. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message brought you closer with Jesus and gave you a better understanding of your walk with him today. If you would like to know more about who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at parkway.church.